Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM, KBLU. I am Sean Garner. I'm here in studio with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We are going to be talking about a few exciting topics today. And uh, first on the agenda is Katie Hobbs and uh, Carrie Lake and whether or not they are going to face off in a live debate. Now, typically in a high-profile office like a gubernatorial race, uh, we would expect the candidates to sit down and discuss the issues live with a moderator asking questions. But that doesn't appear to be the case here. Adam, you, you know a little bit about this story. What's your take on this? So I heard about this two days, uh, a few days ago. I was working out at the gym and a buddy of mine's like, hey, what do you think about this whole Carrie Lake and uh, Katie Hobbs thing? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you haven't heard? I guess it's going to be like a 90-minute Carrie Lake uh, infomercial. And I, I laughed like I knew what he was talking about. And he goes on to tell me that uh, about two weeks ago on Sunday, Katie Hobbs announced that the upcoming uh, gubernatorial debate that was scheduled, she was not going to participate in that because um, she felt like it would be unfair to her. She felt like Carrie Lake, and I'm loosely quoting Katie Hobbs here, but she she made comments like, Carrie Lake's just going to yell at me and she's going to call me names and uh, it will be it will not be productive. I guess as I looked into it a little bit further, Katie Hobbs had appealed to the election board and asked them to change the format to a town hall format. Her idea was that she would have 30 minutes to speak to that town hall group, and then Carrie Lake would have 30 minutes, and instead of going back and forth as a debate as it was previously scheduled to be. And uh, Cody, you were were telling us earlier about uh, how the election board voted on that. I think they voted three to one, not in favor of that type of format. Right, right. They wanted a, a more traditional debate. When I read about this story, I was like, she sounds like a scaredy cat to me. And I don't want a leader of my state that can't stand up and debate or can't even step into the ring. Give me a break. It's a cop out. And I, if, I, if I remember correctly, I don't think she debated in the actual primary um, election for the Democratic Party either. I think she came up with an excuse back then, too. So she hasn't really even debated anybody. And uh, I wonder what the reasoning is. Either she's very poor at it or um, she's very poor at it. So... I imagine she knows that and she doesn't want to uh, display or manifest that in front of the state of Arizona or the world. And running from the fight isn't just making it worse. And, make, and if, if Carrie Lake can continue to that scheduled date and have this, now I understand why my buddy said 90-minute infomercial, because if Katie doesn't show up and the election law allows it, and I think it does, then Katie just has an open forum for 90 minutes is just stump all she wants in, in all fairness though i mean somebody that had been in offense since 2011 should be able to uh, speak they should be able to debate and especially at this level you know she's been a, a senator she's been a i'm sorry state senator she's been a state representative she should be able to you know at least present her ideas and and you know present you know debate well and this was a big distinguishing factor when you're in law school if you want to set yourself apart from the other 
uh, the field of, of law school students and show potential employers that you actually have the skill and the ability to think on your feet, then you participate in these extracurricular activities. One is moot court, which is um, arguing in front of a mock appellate panel. Panel. Yeah. And um, the other is mock trial, where you, you put on a trial. And so it, when you're in trial, you don't know uh, what the other side is going to say, what they're going to argue, uh, how they're going to twist maybe some of the evidence or spin it a little bit. So you've got to think on your toes. You can't just have some memorized line that you go off of. You have to know the facts. You have to know your client's position. And you have to be able to think on your toes. And that that demonstrates to law professors how well you really can think and understand the issues and, and, and navigate through them. Because when an issue is presented at a different angle and you can't figure out how to address it, that demonstrates you don't clearly understand the issue. Or there are maybe different facets of the issue that you didn't take into consideration. And the same thing works with moot court. You, you can't just get up there and memorize your speech, memorize the cases, and rattle off what your position is. The appellate court judges that are sitting there, um, and, and of course, this, sometimes they're real appellate court judges, sometimes they're, they're other... Uh, Faculty or something like that. Stuff. Yeah, people that are acting as judges. But they'll, they'll try to put you on the spot. They'll say, well, hold on a second. You're saying this, but what if this happened? And, and they'll try to throw a wrench into your argument and that demonstrates how well you know the issue and the whole point of the exercise is to determine whether or not you're just a good memorizer and you can cite facts or you actually understand what's going on and that's what debates are we've done this throughout the history of time and and uh, it's it's the approach that we do in law school we were supposed to read the case and then the professor calls on you randomly and you're supposed to be able to answer the issues of the case, and then he'll, like, spin it a little bit. And if you can't do that, then not only are you humiliated in front of your classmates, but it demonstrates you're not really soaking in the material. And that's what we want for people that understand and supposedly advocate for the law. Don't we want that for the lawmakers and law enforcers that when we're when we're voting for senators, when we're voting for gubernatorial candidates, yeah, the person that has the power to shut down our state, yeah, yeah. If she can't think on her feet and defend her issues live, if she can't shut down a heckler, which is what she's calling um, Carrie Lake, then she doesn't deserve to sit in the highest position of office. One of the greatest tactics in law school, I thought, and maybe you guys did this as well, Sean, but there are several classes where. We would we would study a case and then we would we would discuss it basically you know the, the preliminarily we would go over it and we talk about the holdings and why do you think the court came up with this and then inevitably a, a professor would ask okay do you agree with how the court came down on this and you'd have some hand you know you'd have a group of hands go up and then he would ask who does not agree and then the other you know the other half would go up. And so at that point, usually what they would do is they would say, okay, those that agree with it, I want you to argue, you're gonna, your job is to argue the opposite. You now have to uh, argue the opposite view to the other kids, and the other kids have to now argue the opposite view of what they agreed with. And by looking at an issue from both sides of it, you really come to know the deep 
root of the issue and it, such that you can um, solve it, really, and yeah. come up with a better solution. And I think that's what a debate does. It makes you look at the different angles. And you, it's easy to become closed-minded and, and put on that tunnel vision and just say, hey, this is my position on abortion, and that's it. You know, it, you know it's a woman's choice, period. But unless you're confronted with different issues and different scenarios, and it can go from both, both sides of the aisle, you know, it's, it's, it's a life from conception, period. Well, okay, well, what about rape? What about incest? And, and if people can't talk about those points, they're really not understanding the, the depth of the issue. And if they're going to be signing off on bills regarding those laws and, and, and those types of issues, they need to understand that depth and be able to respond to the public about their opinion before we elect them. And I think one of the biggest issues to Katie Hobbs or what she's worried about is her response to the election integrity litigation that we saw right after the 2020 election. It was her and her office that really held that up, that went to war, if you want to call it that, with the Senate, the Arizona Senate. And so it, it caused, uh, is it Carrie Fan, I think, was the president of the Senate at the time. And, and it was really a showdown between the state representation and Katie Hobbs and the state Senate. And so the Senate had to move Maricopa County and had to move in court to do certain things to disclose records. To subpoena, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it, was a, it was like pulling teeth. And Katie Hobbs was the one that was doing that. She was really putting on the brakes, trying to hide evidence, trying to move things around, wouldn't give access to servers and things like that, that was, um, you know, relevant to the case. And it was a constant go back and forth thing. And I imagine she doesn't want to debate Carrie Lake. Be, and that that's probably why is the number one issue is the election integrity stuff that, that she acted in. And I could see Carrie Lake bringing that up over and over again, because Carrie Lake, as we all know, is is a proponent of election fraud in the 2020 election. And um, she feels like it was a stolen election. And Katie Hobbs has even made comments to that effect, that there, there would be no reason debating with her because... Yeah, she calls her an election denialist. And, and that's, conspiracy that's been, theorist is right. what she says. It's been used as a, a, like a slanderous term to people that don't want to take, you know, come to grips with reality that the election was what it was, it was fair, it was clean, and Joe Biden won. Correction, and, it, it was the cleanest and fairest. Oh, cleanest and fairest, okay. That's what so, they told us. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Carrie Lake doesn't think so, and I think there's a lot of evidence to show that it wasn't. And if it was the fairest and the cleanest, I don't know why we wouldn't want all the evidence out there just to demonstrate, you guys are dead wrong. Look at all the servers. Look at all, here, here's where the ballots came in. Here's where they came from. But when you're holding something back, then it just, it, it creates some doubt as to the efficiency or, or the, the transparency of the program and some suspicion around the program. For example, we, we run into this all the time, Adam, when we're administering a trust. And beneficiaries are only entitled to the portion of the trust that describes the gift that they are going to receive out of the estate. Now, we could redact the entire trust, except who the trustee is, who's managing the trust, and who the beneficiary is, who's receiving it, and say, okay, here you go, here's two pages, the rest of it's redacted out of this 98-page trust. Inevitably, if you do that, the beneficiary is going to go, what are you hiding? Why can't I read the rest of the trust? So even though legally we don't have to give the entire trust to the beneficiary, we do as a matter of 
policy in our office, and we, we recommend that our clients do that. Ultimately, it's the client's decision who is, who's acting as a trustee, but that just makes sense because it shows you're not hiding anything. Here's why we're acting. Here's what the trust says. Go ahead and look through it. Take it to your lawyer. Make sure that he understands why the trustee is doing what they're doing. And that's transparency. And that would be the same thing with the election results. Why not just show it all? They wasted more resources fighting the subpoenas for those uh, servers and for those records than they would have used in just allowing them to have them and, and look at it. Yeah, and I mean, since then, we've got that uh, documentary from Dinesh D'Souza that talks about the the mules that were carrying ballots and stuffing ballots, um, working with uh, nonprofit organizations to pick up and collect ballots and then stuff them in ballot boxes all around Maricopa County. And using GPS data, they're able to track all these people. And we're not talking like little little groups. We're talking a, a massive amount of... of um, votes such that it tipped it tipped over to joe biden's favor and so if she if she were to go into a debate and carrie lake most likely would bring that up i mean you she would have to deal with that how would you respond to that and you know she she's concerned katie hobbs is concerned about carrie lake being a name caller right and it's just getting into this kind of playground type of situation where no real issues are discussed but just names are being flung back and forth and the name calling, if there's been any, has really been on her side. She's called Carrie Lake, uh, you know, a MAGA supporter and a MAGA extremist and conspiracy um, theorist, conspiracy yeah. theorist, and uh, election denier. And it's like, okay, well, we'll back up all those things. What does it mean? Why is it a negative thing to be part of Make America Great Again? Why is that negative? How does that make me extreme that I don't want the policies to become increasingly more socialistic? Why does that make me bad that I want guns and the Second Amendment to be um, something that is available to all the people and equally enforced and not just the 86,000 new IRS agents that are being put out there, right? Why, is, why are those bad things? Why does that make me an extremist? Because I want the people to be on a level footing with the politicians out there who they all have armed security guards. They have fences around and gates around their yards. They have the armed IRS and police forces enforcing the laws and making sure that they are safe and, and, and their little um, bubbles and their little um, subsets of communities, because they're not living in the general communities with the rest of the masses for whom they want their laws of stripping gun rights and reducing the police force and not enforcing the border walls to live in. In fact, a curious statement that I thought came up recently from Mayor Lightfoot out of Chicago was Governor Doug Ducey and Greg Abbott are... From Texas. Yeah, from Texas, are making all of the cities, the inner cities, sanctuary or uh, border cities. And she said that as if that is just the worst, most terrible thing that could happen. Wait a second. Are you saying that border cities are less important than the interior cities? Are you saying that border cities don't deserve to be as safe and secure as the inner cities? Because you are, you are voluntarily making yourself a sanctuary city. And so when Greg Abbott and Doug Ducey are busing immigrants up to you, now, mind you, it's like a tenth, if that, maybe a hundredth of the immigrants that are crossing the border are getting bussed up to um, the cities like Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C. And, and 
is creating quite an outrage up there. And they're saying it's overwhelming our systems. These cities have a vastly larger population and a much greater infrastructure than the border towns. And they're complaining that we're make, those um, governors are making them a border town. It's like, okay, number one, welcome to our world. Number two, make border towns secure so you're not using that as a slur to make you a border town. All border towns should be great places to live because we're all in the United States. To me, it's obvious she has the most to lose. Katie Hobbs uh, does not want to put the truth out there. And at the end of the day, the only way they're going to be victorious is if they can divide the Republicans and divide the conservatives. And that's what she's trying to do is to, to paint Carrie Lake as this person that is extreme. And I think if they were to actually get into a debate and you see how sensible somebody like that is and they can handle themselves and they can be professional and they're not this radical character that you're portraying in your ads and your postcards, then it's pretty clear that who, you know, has their, their act together and who, you know, doesn't. And I think it's also important, let's, let's just say hypothetically, that Katie Hobbs has a, a wonderful sense of all the issues and, and how to solve all the problems in the state. But she just doesn't like to sit in front of the camera to articulate that. She gets shy. Maybe she's not very well spoken. It's a- and that's why she wants to avoid the debate. Again, this is a public office that requires a lot of public speaking and requires you to defend your position when tough situations arise. And over the next four years, there are going to be tough situations that arise. So she's going to need to be able to defend her position if she's elected as governor, if she's not willing to do so, even to campaign and to essentially apply to us, the people, and suggest that she is capable of doing that, then that alone disqualifies her as a candidate. Imagine if we had a person come in for a job interview and they just wrote down on a piece of paper and said, hey, I'm great at Word and Google and Excel, and I've also worked at a lot of other software programs that can help your office thrive, and I'm going to be able to fill this position and do a great job. Great. Come in for a personal interview. I prefer not to. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with face-to-face discourse about that. Well, we're going to toss that resume. End of story. That's exactly what Katie Hobbs is doing. She, she wants to put it in paper. She wants to have time to sit down in the quiet of her office and think out her position, but she doesn't want to face-to-face describe and defend her issues and, and, and the points. And, and that means we toss her resume. Yeah, and so she doesn't want to be challenged is what I hear you to say, and I think that's exactly right. So she ends up looking like a coward. I texted you that the other day where um, when we were talking about this back and forth, I said, to me, my initial thought is that she's a coward. I don't want a coward for a governor. I mean, nobody does. You don't want them at all for anything. Yeah, she may be a coward or she just is not confident enough in the true value or the way that it'll come across to the people. Because even if she believes in the issues that she stands behind, I think when she says them out loud, it'll come across to the people as things that we don't want to endorse, that that is not what we want to be represented as. And and so she's going to say, well, we can filter it and write it out where it sounds very good. And we don't get questions on the verbs that we use or the adjectives that we use and um, how we, we call this a woman's right to um, reproduction. Is that is that the new term that they're using instead of abortion? 
Yeah, but a woman is gendered language, so we okay, probably shouldn't so, uh, say that. Individuals, freedom of reproduction. Okay. I don't know. What, what is the term? It's changing all the time. I don't know. It used to be called abortion or pro-choice. Actually, it was pro-choice. Pro-choice, abortion, pro-life. Because abortion kind of you know sounds a little negative. Yeah. Because you know, you're killing a baby. And, sounds like murder. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you don't want to say that. But if you use another word that is two or three... Uh, adjectives removed away from what you're truly describing, then um, it sounds a little bit better. And when you when you can put yourself in a friendly atmosphere and think out your thoughts and just present it on on those terms that sound nice and comforting, then um, okay, maybe some people can get behind you. But when somebody says, "Well, when you say pro-choice, are you talking about a, a woman's ability to?" to kill a baby even after they're born? Is that what you're talking about? Is Or, or when you're talking about a woman's right for um, reproductive freedom, is that what you're talking about? Then it gets really sticky. Like, ooh, we don't want to talk about that. No, we, we just, just freedom, reproductive freedom. That sounds better, right? It does, but are we talking about killing a baby? Is that Are, are we both talking about the same thing? Because reproductive freedom doesn't sound like killing a baby to me. It reminds me of a lot of what's going on right now. You know, you'll see the press secretary for the United States get up and and uh, she'll she she will define things to us as if they're reality. And it sounds like it, to me when I listen to it, I'm like, do you think we're that stupid when you say this isn't inflation or this is, you know this is just you know it's a it's a tension in the economy right now. It's like no, it's inflation. It's actually hyperinflation. Well, who defines hyperinflation? You know, so they're they're making definitions up, but the problem is they don't get they don't have this debate to be challenged on it. No, they get so, to stand at the podium. They got this bully pulpit, and they get to define. And they use words like ultra MAGA, and they define what that is. It's a radicalist. You know, if you if you support Donald Trump or you have in the past, and you're you are a radical in the United States of America, and we might be coming after you with the IRS agents that we've just armed or with the FBI. Um, if you you were there at Jan- on January 6th in the Capitol and you crossed that imaginary line um, onto the Capitol uh, venue, then you know you're going to prison without any without any say so or without any defense. Uh, so they get to define the terms, but they don't get challenged on those terms. And I think that's what Katie Hobbs is really worried about. Like you said, I love that concept that you brought up, Sean. It's the it's the being challenged on what you're actually proposing because she can sit there all day in a town hall format, give her 30 minute speech, use terms and redefine things in her reality uh, that she doesn't have to be challenged on. And, and it sounds nice on, on, on the surface, but if you were to dig down and you start to challenge those beliefs, it's obvious. Those beliefs are not what we believe, and it's completely radical. It's interesting. It's like the, use the word uh, gaslighting, and it's like the ultimate gaslighting of the United States of America. When we hear the secretary get up there and talk to us like we're children and like they know more than we do, or their world is... This certain world that we're just being participants in, it's not like we get to participate because they let us and, and this is how it actually runs. It's like, that's not my world. I don't subscribe to what you're talking about. And just because you put a nice label on it doesn't mean that it's any better. It is abortion. It's killing a baby. It is, it is uh, you know, defense of the Constitution principles when I support a candidate that um, wants to make America great again. So uh, I think Kitty Hobbs is worried about being challenged for exactly what you're talking about, Sean. we got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM, KBLU. 
We'll be right back. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. This is 560 AM KBLU, and I'm in our studio with uh, Sean Garner, my partner, and the one and only Cody Beeson. So we've been talking a lot about the debate, or non-debate, should we say, upcoming between Katie Hobbs and um, Carrie Lake. And, and Katie Hobbs, just to refresh your memory, she mentioned a couple, not mentioned, she announced a couple weeks ago that she was not going to participate in the upcoming debate for governor of, the, uh, of Arizona because she feels like Carrie Lake is a conspiracy theorist and she feels like it'll be a waste of her time and she doesn't want to participate in that. In reality, she does want something because it came out that, well, this was she made this comment after she had already appealed to the election board of Arizona asking them to change the debate format to an actual town hall format where there wouldn't be challenging back and forth. Rather, the speakers would have 30 minutes each to give their spiel uh, in front of this crowd and probably receive questions from the crowd. But those questions are going to be selected in advance. They're going to be softball questions, you know, so it's not really going to be a true challenge of that candidate's actual thought processes and principles or theories that they're proposing for the state of Arizona. And so I could see why she'd want to do that. I mean, it's an easy thing for her. It's a softball. Um, she did not participate in the in the uh, actual debates in the primaries among her own parties, uh, party. And I don't remember why, but um, she came up with an excuse why uh, that point as well. So she hasn't really debated anybody. And I would I would imagine that for the governor of the state of Arizona, you would want to go in there. If I were running, I would want to go in there and I would I would want to show the public why I'm the best person for that position. And I, I would be eager to do that because I believe in what I believe and I want to defend that. I want to be challenged on that. If there's a better idea out there for a particular issue like border security or for abortion, let's hear it. I want to hear it. You know, if you don't like my position, tell me why. And we can come to an agreement on on um, issues. That's the true debate, you know. It's not coming in there and and um, just telling my points. And uh, no, you can't you can't tell me the opposite view, or you can't challenge what I'm saying because what I'm saying is the ultimate end all be all. And there is no other there is no other opinion. It's just my opinion. It's my idea. That's Every, the only idea. Everybody is familiar, you know. Even if you're not into the legal realm, you're familiar with the term hearsay. 
So what hearsay is, is you can't say in court um, what another person said, especially if that person is available to provide testimony. Now, there are lots of exceptions to hearsay. In fact, there's probably more exceptions than there are the, the general rule itself. But the point is, cross-examination is the most thorough way that we have found all throughout American history and jurisprudence to really get to the heart of the matter. What is really true? What what did they say? What occurred at the time? What were the circumstances surrounding their statement? All of that is important. And that has to be subject to cross-examination. Now, um, you know, we had the Johnny Depp trial, right? We've got uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And of course, she's the one that that's uh, trying to say that he's this spousal abuser and that he's this crazy drug addict that um, the things that she said about him weren't true defamation because they, they were all true and and the harm that it did to his career was all justified because he's this terrible person. So he gets up there and he's like, listen, I'm not denying certain things that happened. Yeah, I've had some issues with drugs. I've had some issues with my behavior and my, my um, temper. But um, the things that she's portraying, they're out of context or they're just simply untrue. And so in order to really get to the heart of the matter, we saw her get put up on the stand and cross-examination take place. And we all, and that was a widely watched trial, probably the O.J. Simpson trial of our time. And uh, so we watched that, and I think the vast majority of the American public sided with Johnny Depp in that case. And Amber Heard was exposed for what she was, and that is... Um, a constant victim mentality, and I can say whatever I want to say, and I can get away with it. And in a court of law, that didn't work out so well, especially when it was being viewed on national television, and everybody's able to chime in with their opinion as to how honest and truthful she was being. That is what we're talking about here. Cross-examination exposes the real truth. Debate is a, a politician's cross-examination. That's exactly what it is. And I, I would take it one step further. I mean, that's what we would call free speech. That is why the founders allowed for free speech and ingrained it into our Constitution. Unfortunately, there are many in our public today that don't recognize the need for free speech. Free speech is the idea that I can say whatever I want to say. Um, if I want to say it, I, I'm going to say it. And oftentimes, the reasoning is, is because... In my mind, I believe a certain thing about this issue. So I'm going to say that. Am I right or wrong? I don't know. But once I get it out and I say it, I have my, I have my opinion. And once you say, well, I disagree with that or whatever, now we have this dialogue going back and forth. But what we, right now, I feel like we live in a, in a society that you cannot express yourself free from being punished or canceled. Or the or, fear of retribution. Absolutely. And that is contrary to... I would, I would make it akin to um, cross-examination. We want our ideas to free flow. Oftentimes, and my wife gets really mad at me when I, most, well, every day. Let's just say it every day, okay? <laughs> she gets mad at me every day and for a lot of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is, is because I have a tendency to, we're talking about something and I'll express my opinion as though it's a matter of fact. I'll say it, I'll say it however I'm thinking it. Like, this is the way it is, or this is how I feel it is. And um, that, that's, that can be offensive because she takes it as, that's truly, I'm not going to budge on that. And I've tried to express to her, no, that's not how I truly feel. I'm actually just, I'm spitting it out. And once I talk it out, sometimes what happens is when I say it out loud, I start to, okay, question it myself. And I'll, it just helps me get it out. And then I can now manipulate that or I can challenge it. But I don't, I'm not going to stick to 
in most cases, I don't stick to my guns on on something that I say. I'm just saying it out loud, and that that act of getting it out and saying it out loud helps me to develop the idea even deeper. That's that's absolutely true. Your thought oftentimes is not fully formed until you say it out loud. You can think it, and in your mind, it might make sense, but until you can articulate it out loud, it's not fully formed, and that's why having our uh, a free access to a, an abundant vocabulary helps people think more clearly and more expansively. Up in Canada, so I don't know if you have followed Jordan Peterson, he, uh, about a year or two ago, he really came into the limelight because of uh, he was teaching in, in a university up in Canada. He's Canadian. And around um, some point, the Canadian government codified a statute that disallowed a person to use a gender pronoun other than what the person wants to be called by. Right. And so Jordan Peterson it was considered hate speech if you did. Absolutely. And it's yeah, it's a big deal. Not not protected. Right. And it's very subjective. And so Gordon Peterson, who is a, a professor at the time up in Canada, he said, This is a dangerous thing. I'm not going I can I can speak however I want to speak. I can use whatever pronouns I want. I can be a jerk if I want. Yes. And you can call me a jerk. Yeah. And and that is my right to be a jerk. And i I absolutely support the right each individual's right to be a jerk because we don't know what really a jerk is until they formulate their ideas and they attempt to defend them. And if they truly turn out to be a jerk, then so be it. They've labeled or they've come out and, and they've shown their true colors. But perhaps it's the rest of us that are jerks. I, would, I think we live in a society where you're so quick to judge. And uh, an example would be, you know, somebody comes into our office, Sean, one of our employees comes in in the morning, they're all disheveled, they're a little bit late, and your first, like, thought would be, like, get yourself together, like, what are you doing? You're late, you look horrible, but maybe they had an issue that morning with a tire, a flat tire on the way to work, or they got an accident, or their kids are up all night. I think we should be better as a society about giving people the benefit of the doubt, but I think it's the opposite. We are so quick to jump on their case or to judge them preeminently before actually knowing the situation. And I would, I would argue uh, that in most cases, people have excuses that are valid excuses for whatever is going on. It might be that they just don't have enough information. And so they say something that might be offensive because they didn't know all the information. But sometimes, honestly, offensive speech needs to be spoken. And it needs to be spoken because some, oftentimes, just like jokes, there's a lot of truth to it. Even though it hurts your feelings, doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't merit being disclosed. And, for example, I, I, I really think that we're devolving in society back to the point of the Salem witch trials. And, and case in point is this BYU game, this volleyball game, women's volleyball game versus Duke. One of the, uh, I think it was in the student section of the fans for BYU, it was a home game for BYU, was accused of a racial, shouting a racial slur to one of the black members of the Duke volleyball team each time she got up to serve and using the N-word. And so nothing was said during the game to anybody. And then afterwards, she apparently told her godmother that, yes, they 
called me this racial slur each time I got up. They shouted it out. It really distracted me and it threw me off my game. And so her godmother tweeted it. And then once it got out there on Twitter, social media did what they do. And in fact, not just social media, but um, the, the general mass media just jumped on it without any evidence and said, okay, this is horrible. Um, the BYU students are racist. That's why teams don't want to play BYU. South Carolina canceled their women's basketball tournament or series against BYU. Um, the, the individual that was identified as allegedly saying that was banned from for life from all athletic uh, events at BYU. And so essentially, they were condemned without any evidence, without any trial. BYU continued to do a very thorough investigation for two reasons. Number one, they wanted to determine whether or not this was said. And number two, they wanted to um, understand how to curb that type of activity. They don't want racial slurs being shouted out during games. And so they investigated it. it took about a week, 10 days, and they came out that there was zero evidence. Nobody with a cell phone got it on recording. Nobody with an earshot heard it. There was not a single witness sitting around that individual that can confirm the story that this Duke uh, volleyball player said. And uh, so then they took the broadcasting and they edited it to listen to the crowd. They took all the broadcasters' voices out and they and they listened to it. They did an absolutely thorough investigation. And they watched the whole thing on camera. To see how they she focused reacted. in on that individual that she said it was. Nothing. There was no evidence. But this kid's reputation and his life, I mean, imagine the anxiety that he has as a result of this being labeled a racist and somebody who doesn't deserve the the privilege of attending these BYU events. And um, that's the society that we live in today. If there's any allegation whatsoever, this lady's a witch. She muttered something under her, her voice and then I tripped and, and broke my arm. So she's a witch. That's where we're at again. That's that's exactly what happened during the Salem Witch Trials. And that's where we're at with the racial slurs and, and the accusations today. Well, you know what the lesson is. We cannot listen to or trust people from Duke. <laughs> It's not the first time. <laughs> right. The, the Duke lacrosse team, right? We just saw this not too many years ago. Why are we so uh, unable to learn from the past? Even short-term memory is deficient these days. What would be curious to know is I haven't I haven't tracked the story to the very end. You know, I don't know if this Duke player came out and, and said sorry. You know, that's... She did not. That, that's what... And the basketball happen. team for South Carolina stands by their position not to play BYU, even though there's no evidence whatsoever that anything that was uh, inappropriate occurred. So what we found is when people put their foot down on a certain issue, they're unwilling to change it. And that's the problem. We got to go to a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. I am Sean Garner in studio here with Adam Hansen and Cody Beeson. We do estate planning when individuals need assistance getting their affairs in order, identifying their asset, identifying who they want to make decisions for them when life goes sideways, identifying who they want to inherit 
the legacy that they built up over their lifetime, then they come to us and we help them organize that. And many of our clients are reduced to tears because the burden is is relieved from their shoulders when we do that. And it's a, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing that we get to participate in that. Adam, I think my quality of life has gone up tenfold from the time that I was doing civil litigation and, and another type of law as opposed to this because people just genuinely are satisfied with having their affairs and orders and being able to go home and sleep soundly at night. Have you seen that same type of result with uh, the, the clients you meet? It's probably just me. No, I, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely see that. It's, I mean, it's not unusual on a day to get hugs from people walking out of my office because like you said, they just feel like uh, they knew something was was wrong, but they didn't quite know the depth of it and how to fix it. And so coming in and helping us analyze it with them together, discussing the goals that they have and the things that they want to accomplish and what it will look like, and then us being able to say, it's easy, just let us take over and we'll, we'll put it together for you. And it's on autopilot. It just is a, a world of of comfort to them and they love it you know they leave our office like you said just uh, uh relieved and you can see it we, we have two 42 inch screen tvs that we outline their plan as they go and i like actually the skeptics of trust and estates or even dealing with an attorney because the more they ask questions, the more they dig down into the issue, the better opportunity I have to explain why it's so important and to flesh out the real details of how it's going to work. And so this goes back into our debates. It's, it's not until we get a live interaction with our client where we can actually truly demonstrate the benefit of planning. And with debates, it's not until they go live and discuss the issues and where they're weak on certain points and strong on others, that the public can judge for themselves who's the better candidate for office. We've got another situation. This is, this is a, a national situation, even though it's a Pennsylvania election. It's uh, John Fetterman. He was lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He's running for the Senate seat and for a retiring senator. And Dr. Oz, he is the Republican opponent. So John Fetterman is the Democrat that is running for office, and he had a stroke a few months back. And originally he blamed the stroke for not wanting to get out and, and go on live debates. And so Dr. Oz says, okay, well, are you really healthy enough then to become a senator? I mean, there's only two senators from every state. It's very important your vote counts. In fact, this could tip the balance of power between the Republican and Democrat parties. We don't want somebody that is incapacitated with their health. And he goes, oh, no, 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 it's not my health. I'm fine with my health. And he says, okay, great, good. I'm glad you are. Then let's debate. And so w without that um, crutch of the health as an excuse, he says, well, I I'm not ready to debate because of A, B, or C. And it's the same thing with Katie Hobbs. Always something else is being made up. And finally, he says that he will agree to a debate in some time, hasn't said the date yet, in mid-October. Well, early ballots have already been cast. And uh, that's a big problem because a lot of early ballots are from the Republicans. And so we need to have the debate now. We need to have them early and we need to have them often. And this is a major seat that could really determine 
who has the majority in the Senate. And uh, this is another individual that's unwilling to enter into a debate. And I, I know we really hashed on the importance of debates, but it, it goes into a whole big realm of other issues. The importance of free speech, the importance of not having that chilling effect that if you say the wrong thing, it's going to be a clip on a Twitter post or uh, a tweet, I suppose. I don't use Twitter, so I don't know the, the vernacular for Twitter. But... Um, it, it, you're, you're going to be demonized because of something that you said, even if it's taken out of context, or even if your thought wasn't fully formed when you said it. You might, you might say it out loud and say, you know what, that doesn't, that doesn't sound the way that I really feel. In fact, I think I might be wrong in my opinion there. But you say one thing wrong, and now you find yourself on a blacklist. Now your team is banned from playing other games, now you're banned from attending sporting events, and, and all without really evaluating, are you a truly bad person that's trying to engage in hate speech, or are you just trying to express yourself? Well, we'll talk to you next week. We gotta go. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.